HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Many people in our food community have been seriously impacted by Superstorm Sandy, and our hearts go out to them. At HRN, we've been covering these stories since the storm hit. To learn more, visit our website at www.heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by the Heritage Meat Shop, located in the historic Essex Street Market in New York City. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The After an unfortunate last week of not being able to get into the studio, we are finally back at the Speakeasy at Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have a buddy of mine, Jan Warren, head bartender at Dutch Kills in Long Island City in New York City. And also co-host of a really cool new show called Animals Eating Animals with his co-host Jeff Kreger, Chef Jeff, Jeff Kreger of the Beagle. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, thank you. We call him Chef Jeff. All Chef the time. Jeff, I know. I, I, I wish I would have. Uh, I wish I would have come up it with that. It just works phonetically. It just came to you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So. Um, First of all, uh, being uh, we we recently about a month ago or so had uh, um, Karen Stanley on the show. Sure, so I listened. We were, I we listened to the show that. while I was yeah. setting up the bar. Oh, great! Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you always work on Wednesdays, yep. so that works out. Yep. Um, yeah. So you uh, recently uh, became the head bartender. Uh, fairly recently, became the head bartender over at uh, Dutch Kills after working in several restaurants, uh, both front and back of the house and bars, and. Uh, I want to ask you this because I think you're probably the first first person, at least that comes to mind, that um, came from like a very kind of hefty workload of uh, the back of the house work to the front of the house and the bar. Um, do you feel like that gives you an advantage of like making the drinks and as far as like prep and everything goes? Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, you know when you're cooking, your you know your your workload is is very similar. To you know, making drinks at the bar, but you can burn things. You can cut yourself. I mean, it's just a lot more dangerous and and, and a lot more stressful. You, you know, 
it's more important you're working with a team and your your timing has to be on so you're all putting up plates for the same table at the same time um for me it's a much more stressful environment you know what we do is still difficult but it's it's just it's not hot you're not you're not bathed in sweat you're not coating parts of your body with cornstarch to uh, (laughs) avoid chafing you know you're you get to dress nice and not sweat and you know, in, in the best of all worlds, I've worked no air conditioning shifts with, you know, towels dipped in ice water around my neck. But um, I, I think that a line cook has an automatic advantage at the bar just because, you know, as a line cook, your hours are longer than almost any bar shift you're going to encounter. Sure. Um, and the stress level is just higher because you have, you know, you're back at house. There's people throwing things at you. There's a chef cursing at you. There's you feel like crying all the time. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it definitely is an advantage. Absolutely. That's one thing that that always got me, you know, whenever I like whenever like my bar, we don't have bar back. So anytime we need ice or you need to run and grab a bottle, or, you know, whatever it may be, you're running back to find your bar spoon that ended up in the dishwasher and never came back. Um, but the thing that I was always jealous of was that they were actually able to curse at each other and you know when you're a bartender you're like you have to be like very like on point and presentable and then you just a lot of times you want to go to the back and just scream for a second and come back out well yeah i think having that option is great unfortunately when you're a line cook you don't get to scream at anybody right that's true you just take abuse all day i mean a good friend of mine called his head chef one day he referred to him as the abusive father he never wanted i mean and that kind of relationship really exists in a lot of kitchens uh you know i'd say because Chefs work so hard to get where they are, A. B, um, the responsibility for everything that comes out of that kitchen is ultimately yours. And, and that's just an incredible weight to carry all the time. And, you know, I, I just watched the um, A Matter of Taste, the Paula Brandt thing the other day. And, and he, he grabs a cook, takes him into a corner and says, I am only as strong as my weakest link in this kitchen. And right now you're the weakest link. And it's like that kind of thing is what happens in kitchens all the time. It's never going to happen at a bar because you can't talk to bartenders the way you can talk to line cooks. Because kitchens have a culture that is military, that is uh, psychologically destructive to, to build up. You, do you know what I'm saying? Sure, it's, sure. It's, like a, it's like going to boot camp. Oh, absolutely. You know? So, you know, there are things I want to say to bartenders sometimes that I just can't say to them because they'll cry and quit. Sure. Whereas as a line cook, you'll just cry and work harder. I think, that, yeah, I mean, totally. I think also, like, as a bartender, especially, like, working in, like, classic kind of cocktail bars, um, you take on a lot more responsibilities, much more, uh, like, managerial roles, uh, you know, because a lot of times you have to, you know, be every person in the place, but as, like, like a, a one-man army, basically. And, uh, I mean, albeit you do have your coworkers with you, but, I mean, there are a lot of things that you have to be very... Um, very proactive. Well, well, it's it's more like a one man kitchen. Each bar station sure. is a one man kitchen because you're, you know, you're you're working that station and you're all putting out the same drinks. It's not like a kitchen that's split between garmanger and desserts sure. and pastry and saute and grill and fryer and you know you don't have that kind of delineation between things. So yeah, it is in that sense a one man kitchen. Each bar station, and and that that's that's good I think because it it just allows you to just work independently and that is nice. I like that or a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that being said, um, 
at uh, at certain cocktail bars too, there are, and I, I like this. I, Joaquin's new bar, uh, Joaquin and Toby, they have the uh, the pouring ribbons sure. bar. And uh, one cool thing about that, and I, I, for some reason, I was thinking that you guys did this too. But um, basically, everyone does every they work every role. Oh, we no, we alternate. absolutely we absolutely do alternate. Yeah, I mean, all you know, I think we have some floor people who only work the floor, but that's because they're timid and don't want to work the bar yet. Sure, you know, I, you know, we we have a, a girl that works there who. It's been working there for two years, knows all the drinks, you know, and it's just a little timid. And, and, you know, if you don't have the confidence to be behind the bar, you shouldn't be behind the bar. But, yeah, I work the floor sometimes. Scott Teague works with me, works the floor sometimes. Sometimes he works the bar. We, we pretty much swing it around, yeah. It's, such a, it's a great concept, you know, because then that way you're, you know, you can be on top of it all the time. Even if you are working one position, then you can see where one, right. uh, yeah. another one needs to Yeah, help, and it also know. helps you, you know, you know how long a round takes. You know, sure. so you're not like you're you're not cranky with the the service bartender who's not putting out at your round fast enough sure. because you know that he's got four tickets and you have an idea how long that takes. You know, also that's one of the ideas I always had for you know my dream restaurant when I was cooking would be to have everybody do everything because in a restaurant there's always this huge divide between front of house and back of house. Absolutely, and 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 even I, I would say past divide and and going into lack of respect, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Where waiters think that cooks are all animals and cooks think that waiters are all stupid. And, you know, it, it really is pretty sad because everybody in a restaurant works really hard. I mean, everybody sure. does. And I always thought that it would be nice to for a waiter to get a look at what a cook does and for a cook to get a look at what a waiter does. Because it's easy to be sweating in the kitchen and, and thinking, man, these guys look all good out front and their lives are easy and they're making more money than me and whatever. But the reality is that when you're dealing with six tables, eight tables, it's it's not comfortable. Sure. I mean, people want you more than you can be there sometimes. And that's it's just, I mean, ultimately, just if you have a responsibility to the work, it feels bad to not do the job you think you can do. Sure. I also think that with that being said, like those certain roles, like it, the 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 power gets shifted from like when, you, when you're waiting a table, you've got, you're basically at the whim of the customer right and you you're doing everything to keep them happy but then the flip side of that is like when you're a bartender you're in charge sure. and the customer is like at your work you know so it's good to like see both sides of that that uh you know that that side of power so like when you are bartending you it's, can be like all right you know i'm, I'm about the customer it's I'd funny be- my my floor my kind of floor persona doesn't change from the bar i i basically tell tables what they're gonna have Sure. I mean, I really do. I, I still, if I'm working the floor at Dutch Kills, I am in control of those tables. I really am. I, I tell them really, exa- I really guide them through their drinking experience. And, and I don't think we give up a lot of control at Dutch Kills. I, I think in a restaurant, it's different. Um, and I think that people come into even cocktail bars with the idea that whoever's waiting the table is too dumb to bartend. Sure. Because, I mean, people's expectations shift. Of people's expectations of you shift based on what position you're in. And right. the bartender is a guy that knows all the drinks and he can shake cans and he can stir and he can make ice melt in a glass. I mean, he's a magician, right? <laughs> but the waitress or the waiter can only carry a tray. Right. You know, so people, people tend to have that misconception that these people are, aren't good enough to be behind the bar. Whereas, you know, a lot of them are and just, you know, either, either are both things or, or just are, don't want to be behind the bar. Some people are way more comfortable on the floor. So at our bar, if, if someone comes in with the notion that the person bringing them their drinks is just someone who can bring drinks, they're quickly disabused of it. 
Sure. I mean, quickly. Yeah. I, I hit people. <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> Smack them with a tray over the head. Well, I think that's also cool for your like your regulars that come in, too, to see that you're not above like going out on the floor. like As, as the bartender and the person running the show, like getting out on the floor and actually getting your hands dirty in, in a different way and like being a team. You know, that shows a lot of teamwork. And yeah, really I mean, cool. and that's a suit. I mean, look. You, you work in a business that is, is – is, it only works when the people that work behind the scenes are happy together, really. I mean, I mean it can work – I shouldn't say only works. It can work with, with conflict, but it works just way better, way easier. Everybody feels better. Everybody, in the end, makes more money because if your staff feels good, your customers feel good. Your sure. customers want to be there. Your customers want to tip better. I mean, every, I mean, you know, you walk into restaurants – all over town, bars all over town, and you can instantly feel it. I mean, this is a thing that, you know, you when when the you know, it's something I've always noticed about restaurants and better and good restaurants, and you know, you know the management's good because you walk in, and it, it it's not an it's not because you got treated really well by the staff, or there's just a sense that you have that the staff is happy and treated well, and when that happens, I mean, good things start from there. I mean, really, and and that's part of why Dutch Kills works so well, I think. And, and, you know, the other bars in the family, um, Milk and Honey, Little Branch, all, all, all the bars, Silver Lining, um, you know, is because our bosses are actually pretty good people. Yeah. Mean, and that's, that's really important. And they inspire loyalty, they inspire dedication, and they inspire hard work because they've done all that, right? Sure. They've been loyal, they've been dedicated, they've been hardworking, and still are. I'm not, I don't mean to say that any of those guys are... They're mailing it in now because they're not. I, I see Richie, you know, at the bar, you know, five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, you know. When he's not on a motorcycle trip. Right. When he's not, <laughs> uh, when he's not traveling around the world making me jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, with that experience, um, I, I want to start hitting on uh, something we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. We're going to take a little break here in a second. But uh, with with giving those kinds of experiences to your customers uh, and obviously on your days off, you want to have the similar kind of experience. Um, you recently started working on some different projects. One of them being this uh, TV show animals eating animals. Sure. Um, uh, but before we get into that, um, I know there was something like that hit me. Like whenever I started working in like uh, better bars and it was, Realizing that, okay, we're giving people, like our customers, these great products, this great environment. They're here to have fun. They're here to have fun. And, you know, then as a bartender and as someone who works in the industry, I started, that started rubbing off on me. So then on my days off, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to cruise around town. We live in a great city. There's plenty of stuff that's offered. So let's go see what everyone else is doing, uh, what they're cooking, what they're mixing, you know, what they're making in general, you know. Sure. So many uh, great companies putting out like great products. there is no dearth of wonderment and beauty in the restaurant and bar industry in this town i mean it, it's probably you know i'm new york centric i grew up here so i'm going to say stuff that you're not going to like if you're not from here but <laughs> this is the best town on the planet that's why everybody comes here that's why you look around and there's africans japanese russians i mean this is the this is the city it's called the city <laughs> there are thousands of cities but this one is the city yeah. right i mean that's what it is and, 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 you know, the, the options available to us are manifold and, and beautiful. And I'm so happy to be able to visit all these ethnic places that are tiny dirt holes that put out one beautiful product 
you know, and, and yeah, we explore, me and my co-host on the show, Jeff Craig are explore that. And, um, you know, wanted to share it with the world, really. And I think we'll talk more about that. Yeah, right after this break. Um, so we will be back in just a moment. We're talking with Jane Warren. And give us a minute. We'll be yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Kill Me in the Summertime by the Dead Stars on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. following is a message from the Heritage Meat Shop. Are you tired of just hearing buzzwords? Do you want to actually take part in the food revolution? Then come on down to the Heritage Meat Shop, located in New York's historic Essex Street Market. On the corner of Essex and Delancey, we have rare breed pork, beef, poultry, lamb, and goat. Not to mention charcuterie that'll make you squeal. All raised right, by the right people, so you know they'll taste right. Try the meat that over 100 New York chefs ache for. Come to the Heritage Meat Shop and pick up some revolution today. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. And we are back. <laughs> We've been talking with Jan Warren of uh, Head Bartender at Dutch Kills and also co-host of a new show called Animals Eating Animals. Before we talk about animals eating animals, I know that radio is uh, not a visual medium, but is there any reason we're not wearing pants? I, I know. I, I just feel more comfortable All right, in this okay. conversation. All right. It's okay. just, you know what, you're in, you're in my house now. I got it. I know I want to abide by my rules. Okay. Um, so, so okay. W- before the show, we were talking cocktails and we we're talking about uh, customer experiences and everything, and about being in a great city with a lot to offer, sure. and basically getting into the conversation about having fun with it and and exploring. And you know, your show. Uh, so, I mean, to 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 make this easy and short, my show, and, and I say my, and I mean me and Jeff. Jeff, if you're listening, I love you <laughs> deeply. Not physically, but deeply. Um, it just comes from basically what me and my buddy did on our days off. You know, yeah. this is a great town for a bicycle. It is. Sure. If you're good at riding one, if you suck at biking, get off your bike. I think in the second you, episode, Jeff takes yeah, a spill. <laughs> he takes a spill, and he's good at it. He is. You got to know how to fall. You got to know how to fall for one. And also, you just have to be kind of, man, hyper aware. Yeah, I mean, you really have to be have lasers coming out of the back of your head, hundred <laughs> percent. I, I I can't stress this enough. You make me nervous, all of you. <laughs> you do. I've been doing this since I was sixteen. That's twenty one years of riding a bike in New York City in traffic. Please be careful. Seriously, really, people get hurt. A- anyway, on and and so did my co-host in episode two. So, <laughs> um, I mean, basically, on our day off, me and Jeff would get on our bikes on a nice day ride around and gorge, stuff ourselves. I mean, we both love food. We're both not afraid of, of, of things that you might think are strange. 
um, this is what we did. And it just kind of evolved into a show very naturally. And, and, you know, you can't not go to Flushing. You can't not go to Sunset Park, which for my money is kind of my favorite food neighborhood in the city because you're in Mexico on Fifth Avenue and in China on Eighth Avenue. And, and that's a, that's about as far as it gets. Yeah. You know, yeah. culinarily, it's, it's pretty wildly different. And, you know, I think you owe it to yourself if you live here to explore this city, whether, you know, it, and explore it f- to find what you love. You know, me yeah. and Jeff happen to love food and, and we want to share that with you. Watch our show, Animals Eating Animals, AnimalNewYork.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, that's, that's the whole spirit of even moving to this city. It's like no one lives in this city if you have fears of, you know, like these weird, timid little, you know. Oh, they, they do. It's called the Upper East Side. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, they do. They just go to bars in Murray Hill, and, and that's as far as they get. They're 86th to 35th, and, and that's it from third, you know. First Avenue to Third Avenue, and but that's not that's there. not living in New York City, though. I, I know that, but there are a lot of people who come from other places and just really, you know, they they come to work a corporate job in New York because it's where they're going to make it, and they basically seek out the experience that they had in their small college town, sure, you know, and 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 their fraternity, and you know, and they're totally hot sorority girls at tramp stamps. I mean, just, <laughs> they look for that, and they're they're all at Brother Jimmy's right now. <laughs> you know, and, and that's great, and I'm glad we have a place for those people. I am. We need that. It's New York. There's everybody's here, and it really doesn't pay to hate anybody, to be angry at anybody. You know, you can think that people are mildly foolish for not exploring what this city has to offer. But you know, like I said, we we have great art, we have great food. Food is art, I guess, in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I think you owe it to yourself if you're here to abuse the city, to use it for what it is, which is a uh, a. Uh, a melting pot, if you will. <laughs> it's a fondue pot of stuff. You know, whatever you want, you can find it here, and you can find the best of it here. And I really firmly believe that. And f- in fact, one of my one of my ideas for for a show would be New York versus the world. Nice. Where y- you find I think something. That's the name of a Wu Tang album. Is it? I don't know. No. I, I hope Jack so. shaking his head. No. I hope so. I hope so. Um, well, you know where where you kind of take the best thing you can find in New York in a certain area, and then pit it against, you know, your best cheesesteak in New York versus your best cheesesteak in Philly. Or, sure. You know, that, I think that would be a really neat thing to do. And I, I would be willing to bet that New York would win a lot of those battles. You're going to piss off a lot of Philadelphians. Well, I, I, yeah, sorry, cheesesteak guys. I, that was just an example. I haven't had a great cheesesteak in New York in recent memory. So it was just an example it's because... Just because Philly is so famous for the cheesesteak, sure, sure, that that came to mind, and and you know I, I love you guys. Well, I give guess. us give us some examples of uh, for those ha- who haven't seen the show yet. Some of the things that you've eaten. like. What are some of the weirdest things that you've had to eat? I mean, I would say that the weirdest thing we ate, or or the thing that might be most alien to the American palate, uh, is probably congealed duck's blood. I think that we don't eat a lot of blood here. We'd let it drip out of the meat and. In, in most cases across the country, cook it right out of the meat, which is pretty sad. But, uh, you know, if, if you like, I mean, we've all cut our finger, right, and sucked on it, right? Everybody, everybody's done that. Sure. And, and nine out of ten of you probably like that slight coppery tang. <laughs> so guess what? You're going to like congealed duck's blood. It might sound like something you'd never put in your mouth. It might sound like something that, you know, you, you know a horror movie guy is eating. But it's actually pretty good. You know, lamb testicles, you know, Nobody wants to have balls in their mouth. Well, well, all right. There might be a certain segment of the population that really enjoys that. But, you know, 
for an American eating, for someone that's grown up in the traditional American food culture, I mean, nothing is stranger than balls, right? <laughs> and that's what they are. You know, yeah. that's what they are. But if they're handled well, <laughs> I mean, if they're prepared well, if they're cooked well, if they're seasoned right, if they're seared nicely and cooked, I mean, you can get something that's really delicious. And, and I think that that's largely ignored, although that is obviously swinging the other way, especially in larger cities around the country. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, we're, we're wasting less meat, which yeah. is nice. Well, that's great. Like, you know, we were talking about from uh, before the show, you know, I'm from a small town in Oklahoma. We grew up around a lot of Indian reservations and, uh, you know, they, Native Americans would use every piece of like the, the buffalo or cow, you know. And so in that respect, you know, being like basically cooking responsibly with the things that we're killing, you know, that's that's huge. And yeah, a lot of people aren't used to it, though. Yeah. I mean, not only is it important to, to cook responsibly with, with what you're killing because you're killing an animal when you eat a steak you've now killed an animal you haven't done it with your own hands but that animal's dead buddy yeah so if you're eating a steak you should probably eat a cow foot soup you should probably have some sweetbreads i mean you should not be afraid to eat the rest of that animal you should you know these animals have evolved on this planet the same way we have right they deserve our respect they might not be the primary species but they deserve our respect. And Absolutely. part of respecting them is eating them, I think, from nose to tail. It is. Sure. Um, so on the show also, uh, Jeff is uh, Jeff's the food guy, even though you both are obviously food guys. Sure. Um, on the show, you typically mix a drink. Yep. Um, how do you go about like the, like the deciding what you're going to pair? I mean, that's that, that, that happens different ways. I mean, sometimes it's really pairing it to the food, but... You know, we did an episode where we ate all these all this lamb offal, and you know, I didn't really have a good idea of what cocktail was going to go with that. But it was an Egyptian restaurant, so I made a a little branch drink called a, a an African flower because Egypt is kind of the flower of Africa, mm-hmm. you know. But I, you know, it it changes from maybe some kind of just mental association to, you know, like in the episode where we ate a pig's face, I really thought that a Negroni style drink, something bitter, would really cut across the richness of pork jowl you know and the saltiness of brine pig right yeah so i mean you know it's it it goes goes two ways you know it's not always the same process and i and i think that i think that that's pretty good i like that yeah you also ate the the uh the eyeball on that episode. jeff ate the eye oh he did okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I drank uh liquefied pork fat out of the ear which was really i mean you know you're cheating yourself if you're not doing stuff like this you are if you're eating meat and you're not willing to drink some hot pork fat that's got star anise and, and, and other flavor in it, then so awesome. you're cheating yourself. Yeah. You really are. If you're not eating nacho cheese Doritos crumbled up on top of ice cream, you're cheating yourself because <laughs> these are all experiences. And, and some of them might not be great for you, but you owe yourself the experience because bad experiences are important to form who you are. They are. I've had tons of them. Trust me. I wouldn't be this person, which I, I tend to think is a pretty good person. I don't know. Maybe not whatever but you know there's been a lot of bad shit that's happened along the way you can curse it's okay yes fuck yeah all right um so you know i think all all these experiences are important and and even if they're if if, even if they're negative at the time they're going to be positive in the future so eat whatever do whatever yeah absolutely i mean i grew up in a very 
it wasn't the very like it wasn't the culinary or even drinks epicenter of the world by by a long damn shot. So uh, you know, growing up, I you know my parents didn't really they never really like, branched out as far as like things that we would eat. Can, canned green beans and sure, we, we always had like a garden where we oh okay. you know, at least we had that you know. Well, that's pretty forward, right? I mean, sure, sure. I'd say the average person in Oklahoma is not growing their own food, eating their own. That's I mean, maybe that's right. a narrow view because I'm a New York jerk, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but also it was like you know. We're landlocked, you know. So even when I moved to Oklahoma City, it's like, you know, I'd go to an oyster bar, but I I'd never right, really yeah. eat the oysters because it yeah, was like because eh. they were shipped in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like with every step, like every step, or in every stage of my life, it's like I had always seek out more and more, you know. Sure. And I think that that's what you know, like my friend Andrew Knowlton, uh, he writes for Bon Appetit. He sure. um, his daughter Julep eating oysters when she was like. A year old. Yeah, I mean, I was... You and know, I was like, that is badass. It took me, like, almost you, 30 when years. When I was really young, my family lived in Austin, Texas, and I... One of my earliest memories... This is real. One of my earliest memories is of parties out, outside with a wheelbarrow full of ice and oysters. Nice. Where people would just shuck their own oysters and slurp them down, and I was eating oysters. That's one of my first memories, is eating an oyster out of, a, out of an ice-packed wheelbarrow. You know, and that stuff is important. If, if you want to pass that, that kind of tradition on to your kids... It's important to get him eating weird stuff. I got a six-year-old. Oh, well, he's eight now, but sorry, Lorenzo and Sherry. <laughs> I have a nephew who was eating sushi when he was six. You know, was, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's and and my dad was taking me to sushi places when I was five years old, seven years old. I was eating Indian food in, in the early '80s in New York when it was only Sixth Street. That's it. Yeah, there was nothing else. Yeah, I mean, like to me, those are the experiences. Even like, and even with. Drinking responsibly, you know, like reading uh, Toby Chikini's book, um, Cosmopolitan, he talks about, you know, being at the dinner table and, you know, it's pretty traditional, though, of like Italian families, like serving, you know, watered down wine to the kids, sure. you know, sure. and just like understanding like the responsibility on that side of it as well. I think that's that's super huge and something that I feel like we're actually getting getting back to. Sure. You know, it feels it feels pretty good, you know, these days and especially since uh, um since we have uh, great broadcasting situations like your show and hopefully this one, yeah, this is <laughs> we, great. I, we can uh, educate a, people more on that. I've had a great time today. I really have. Yeah, likewise. I mean, well, we're getting pretty close to the end, right? We are at the end, actually. Well, I want to say one thing before we go, and, sure. and that's that I, I'm really, I just want to say thank you to the bartenders out there who are really actively making a difference in, in this hurricane situation in New York. Uh, Jason Luttrell, you know, everybody that showed up at Peggy Club on Sunday, Audrey Saunders for, for, loaning loaning the community her bar for a night i know that a lot of other people are doing a lot of really good work and it really is you know i think you you figure out what kind of person you are by how you respond to these kind of situations and uh i think that it's just made me really happy to be associated even loosely with with so many people that are that are out there uh, absolutely trying to do the right thing for people that desperately need it right now so i would say i want to just say one thing and, and then you know, just if you have the opportunity, just go out and, and pick up a shovel or, or just, just get to a community near you if you're on the East Coast that, that's been damaged by the storm and, and try to help out because people really need it. Absolutely. Awesome. Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's an uh, honor. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show sometime. I know we, uh, you and I have no, uh, no, uh, end to our conversation yeah I think, I, think, I think we could do okay at this. Yeah, we do all right <laughs> all right that that's it for the speakeasy this week i'm damon bolte cheers guys and be safe
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.